1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Got your host here, Justin Townsend. And a number of the Harvesting Nature crew. This is one of those, you guessed it, crew chats. So we're going to go around the room here in just a moment. Uh, we'll give you a quick update on what's going on in my neck of the woods. Uh, Will, who's sitting to my right, and I are going to be going next weekend out on a uh, Florida Keys saltwater flats fly fishing I can't think of anything else that will fit into that alliteration. So, fiasco. Um, fiasco. No <laughs> fiascos. Uh, no, we're going to go out and do some fly fishing. But uh, there's a lot of species here that live on the flats in the Florida Keys that you can't keep. So, we're going to, there are two that you can keep uh, for food. And we're going to target those. So, we target permit and redfish. Yeah. And we're going to try to do uh, the old catch and cook not to jinx ourselves but uh that's a purpose so we're going to also try to record a podcast uh after that so hopefully you get some of the, the cool details and sort of on the road feel but we'll just be actually in our own neighborhood but doing something cool and since will's to my right and you already know he's here i'll let him give you an update on on what's going on in his world hey everybody uh not much going on over here Pretty pumped for this fly fishing adventure here next uh, next weekend. Other than that, just hitting your normal little uh, you know afternoon fishing, looking for some tarpon here and there, and uh, spear fishing. Spear fishing did some of that. That was good. We yeah, went out uh, running with a week. tiger shark. Yeah, had that happen. Uh, tiger sharks are big. Uh, they kind of come up on you, kind of sneak up on you. Uh, but that was a uh, that was a good time. Got some good fish out of that one. We still all ha has all of his fingers and toes yeah. and limbs. Everything is, is intact. Uh, yeah. But yeah, just normal, normal Florida Keys stuff. <laughs> Nothing too crazy. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that sounds good. Colin, you're next up on the screen. So we'll go clockwise. All right. Hey, everybody. It's Colin. And uh, not much going on here except a lot of duck hunting going on right now. 
So I've been going out pretty much about every other weekend I try and get out there. Um, but most of the flyways pretty much dried up, so not a whole lot, not a whole lot of ducks flying around right now. See them in like those little local ponds and streams and stuff, uh, maybe some flooded fields, but in the main areas where you'd expect them to be, not a whole lot out there. So this this coming Saturday is going to be the uh, it's like a veterans active duty military day for Oregon, where only well it's the start of goose season again, the last month of goose season. Um, but it's actually a day where any legal waterfowl is open for hunting for active duty retirees, veterans, all that. So they're having that. They're having it in Florida too. I did see that too. So yeah. I wonder if it's like a kind of like a nationwide. I think it's through the um, the Federal Wildlife Service or whatever. Yeah. So it's probably probably nationwide then. Uh, but I'm going to try and get out there for that too, see what comes up. Um, if not, it'll be a, a nice morning. I usually see some elk around where I am. So I think some of you guys have seen my post and everything about it. But like uh, last time I was out there, two elk button heads, and it was pretty cool. I saw that. That was pretty yeah. neat. Yeah, they were maybe 200 yards away from me. I was just watching them all morning do that. So that was pretty neat. Yesterday was my second time participating in a deer culling at our local regional airport. Uh, so they have a problem with deer there because not only do they block the runway at night for that's where like the search and rescue helicopters take off from too, uh, can be a, actually a pretty big hazard for them. So they have ten tags. We took uh, two last night, and uh, I mean it, it's it's interesting. It's definitely not hunting, but um, all the meat goes to a local butcher, and then it ends up going to a local food shelter and everything like that. And it's just kind of fun to get out there and roll around on a runway at night in a truck. But that's really what's going on. It's pretty cool, though. It's a different experience. Uh, huh. That's cool, though. You know which food bank it goes to? There's one in Tillamook, which is about an hour and a half, maybe two hours south of where I am. And uh -huh. that's uh, one of the local, one of the closest food processors, meat processors that you can go to. Uh, but then I think it ends up coming, it has to go down there to get processed and then it comes back up to Astoria to do a, uh, to go to the food shelter here. Cool. All right, Corey, you're, you're up next. What, what you got for us? Well, deer season's over here. So my son and I went out and set a couple trail cameras and, you know, it's perfect time to scout because snow on the ground, you can see where they're going. No, no leaves on the trees, so you can see a long way. So we, we uh, did some trekking around um, a spot, um, found an effed up old deer stand that uh, has seen better days. I saw that picture too. Yeah, that's a great picture. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> so, well, and I keep saying we're going to go out ice fishing, but we have plans to go this weekend. So hopefully I can get out there. The ice is supposed to be really thick now, like 10 inches. Nice. That's good. That seems, it still seems to me not thick enough, but I'll take your, your word you can, for it. I think, I think 10 inches, you can take a car out, I think. Mm -mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> you can take a car out. I'll watch from the shore. <laughs> I've seen all those movies where people fall on the ice. <laughs> All right, Ben, what, what you got for us? Hey, what's up? It's been um, 
so not much right now. I went out with a buddy of mine a few weeks ago, and he shot his first elk in uh, eastern Oregon, which was really cool to uh, be a part of and everything. Um, we saw a, a ton of elk. He had a cow tag, so we saw like 100 bulls probably, which was mm-hmm. really awesome. <laughs> uh, but but it was super fun. Eastern Oregon's just it's huge, really big. You know, like you could see something, you'd spot something, and then, you know, the guy with the good binos and spotting scope were like, yeah, it's probably like 2,000 yards. <laughs> everything is just like so big. So, so that was really fun. Um, steelhead is supposed to be good right now, but I'm still waiting for my residency to kick in, and all the non-resident fees are just too much, and that kicks in at the end of the month. So then I'll probably be doing that, which is cool. Um, and bought a new bow in the meantime, so I've just been tinkering with that forever and trying to get everything dialed in, and that's pretty much it. Getting ready for bear. Getting ready Hopefully. for bear, yeah, put in for those tags. Yeah, fingers uh, crossed. Yeah, it should be good. I'm, I'm seriously thinking that we made a rookie move and by not putting in as a party, but we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, we'll be good. Justin, did you? Uh, uh, I'm kind of I'm breaking in the into the middle of the conversation, but did you go duck hunting out of a kayak like you said you were going to? No, uh, my trip got get canceled. The weather was not ideal. And work schedules were not also ideal, so canceled. But yeah, no. I thought about trying to go for the Veterans Weekend, um, but I don't think it's going to happen. It's coming up on my anniversary, my wedding anniversary, so um, I'm dedicating some time to the family before spring. The spring hunting season start up again, for sure. So. But yeah, all right. Moving on from from what we're doing, um, we have a new new thing we're doing on the on the entire the entirety of harvesting nature, and uh, it, many of you may have heard of it. It's called buy us a coffee or buy buy me a coffee, but I changed it to buy us a coffee because there's more than one of us. Um, you can essentially follow the link in the show notes, follow the link on any article. There's buttons on the website, all over the place that you can click to basically buy us a cup of coffee. So $3 cup of coffee, uh, no strings attached, nothing crazy like that. Just a way to say, Hey, thanks guys for doing what you do so well. We love it. So kind of like a donation to us helps run great things like these podcasts, our written articles, our films, all that jazz, um, will help, uh, reimburse the, uh, the funds that we, direct towards those adventures but uh we also have a hat to give away too uh so we selected a review tonight it says uh the title podcast binging hubby and i are avid hunters anglers home-based chefs homesteaders homeschoolers and we sincerely enjoy each and every episode thanks guys so um please reach out to us that great five-star written review and uh, email us what's cooking at harvestingnature.com. Go take a look at the shop and decide which hat you want. And uh, we'll get that in the mail as soon as you uh, shoot us an email over with what you want and your address. And thanks for the review. So anybody listening can have a chance at a hat. Just go punch that five-star button, leave a written review. 
You can use a link in the show note, which will sync with your phone or whatever device you're using to listen to us. And it will connect you with an appropriate platform to leave a review. So it's a, it's a pretty cool thing that we've got going on there. Uh, we like giving away free stuff, especially to say thanks to all the listeners. You guys are great. So thanks for that. Corey, do you want to talk about our, our Facebook community a little bit? Sure. Yes. So we've started a f- community on Facebook. Um, it is a private group, right? Yeah, it's private. Mm-hmm. Private. Um, you have to request to join, but um, in there we are sharing some insider information. Um, I think tonight we're going to use some uh, comments from from that group uh, mm-hmm. on one of the topics we're discussing. And uh, yeah, it's a good place to get get uh, get all all your harvesting nature fixes. Yep. And it's sort of, I'll, I'll dive in a little deeper too. It's kind of a community set up so you can share. We've had people share their recipes on there. We've had people share photos of what's going on. We've, you know, put cool things that we see happening around in the, you know, the, the hunting and fishing world, as well as it's a great way for you to get questions to us. Uh, so what you want to do is to find it, go into Facebook and look for the, uh, wild fishing game community. And when you search that, you'll see it. You should see our logos. One of them, either the podcast logo or our harvested nature arrowhead logo, um, on there. And that'll lead you to the group and just boom, hit, uh, hit join and we'll get a notification. We'll say that person looks cool. Sounds cool. Let them in. And then, uh, we can do all the cool engaging, engaging on Facebook that we need to. So there's that. I think that's the last bit of news. You guys have any last bits of news that you think we should tell the world? Nope. Cool. Well, let's move right into it then. So this is a two part show. There's two uh, really cool topics I want us to chat about. And the first off is going to be wild game chilies. And the second off, and I, I want the listeners to think about this one, and two, I want you to send me your responses. Either shoot us an email at what's cooking at harvestingnature.com or join that Facebook group. Hit us on social media with a message. But uh, do you think hunting is a sport? And we're going to talk a little bit about, I'm going to tell you sort of how I came to this conversation point. Uh, and then we're going to sort of talk about it kind of each from our perspective. And, and to me, there's not a wrong answer. There's not a right answer. I'm just very curious to learn because the situation uh, opened my mind up to to look at it a little personally. So I'm curious. I have my beliefs, but I'm curious where everyone else stands, if that makes sense. But first off, I want to talk about chili because, uh, frankly, I love it. Um, we've got some great some great debates here that I think uh, – that I think we, we should go through. And you guys feel free to chime in at any moment with your chili commentary. Ooh, chilling, chilling, chili commentary. <laughs> um, I guess, so Will and I, as many of you know, we have a good debate going. Uh, Corey weighs in on it too. Um, but I'm curious where the other guys stand. So with beans or no beans in your chili? Oh, what a question right there. Like, Looking at the foundation of chili, what are you going to throw in there? What are you not going to throw in there? So, as a native, born and bred Texan, Texican, you got to go 
with no beans. You just that's just the way it is. But caveat to this, and Corey, you'll like this. My mother is not a native Texan. Uh, she actually grew up in Minnesota and traveled all around. My grandfather was in the Air Force. So she got a lot of different cultural influences in her cooking. And uh, one thing she used to make, which was more of a stew, really, but was chili with beans. I hate that. Don't call and, it stew. Uh, it's, it's, it's chili. <laughs> <laughs> so this stew my mother would make uh, was delicious and great. It just, uh, you know... So it's something you want to wait, throw wait, on top wait, of a wait, hot wait, wait. dog. Are you or, calling it a stew just because it has beans in it? Uh, more just because it get under Corey's skin. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's working. I I think chili's great. Uh, I love it, and there's definitely a very big subset culture of chili, the Texas chili, and I love it as well. But uh, I do think they have very uh, very niche roles. So I was I was in FFA in high school, and that's uh, Future Farmers of America. Um, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma, little town, but, um, every year we had an annual chili, like not a cook off, like it wasn't a competition, but it was a, a chili dinner where they do silent auctions, all the other stuff. And we legitimately made chili with beans and chili without beans, like gallons of it, gallons and gallons. <laughs> and I remember it was required every year we had to go help. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed We'd wrap packets of crackers, like four or five saltines. We'd wrap them in tin foil, and uh, you'd, you'd get that when you bought a little container of chili. You got the four crackers with it. So that was my job. I was the cracker wrapper. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like uh, some kind of singer. Yeah. A musician. I thought about that after it came out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> um, so that, that, that's a question. What goes with chili? Yep. Perfect like, segue. I've heard a lot of things, and uh, you know. Well, no, we still haven't settled a debate. Beans or no beans? They, they both have their their places at the dinner table, just not together. Like Colin, we, we would have the chili cook-offs, but they would be. Ch- Chili and beans and chili without beans are just two different categories. Colin. Chili 100% has beans in it. <laughs> ben. Always did beans. I didn't know that it was a debate <laughs> until maybe the last few years. <laughs> but Man, there's not a lot of culture going around. <laughs> I didn't know it was a debate until about five minutes ago. But. <laughs> chili, chili. But when you take out the beans, then it's Texas chili. So Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. So. Uh, yeah, the cat, the caveat being, um, if you're a traditionalist in your chili eating and there's various traditions in chili eating too, I think Will said it best once and I'm gonna let him say it again in just a minute, but I'm going to throw this in there. The origins of a lot of people, what they think of as chili being chili con carne, especially popular along the, the border region of Texas does in fact not have beans because it's just meat and like a chili sauce. So that's where I could see. But at some point over the years, as chili expanded northward, crossed the Red River to the great state of Oklahoma, it was the gateway for chili with beans. <laughs> and now it's expanded everywhere. But I don't know. I have a, lot, I have a feeling a lot of people are going to be on both sides of this debate. 
But I'll let you say your your chili spiel. Chili is a great food. I love chili. And definitely growing up both with a mother who was very pro bean side on the chili and a father who was very uh, anti-bean. It was a, really a house of conflict growing up in Central <laughs> it, it Texas. Is. Yeah, I was just going to say a lot of tension in that house. <laughs> There's a lot of tension. It really made me the man I am today. Chili's well, very foundational. Well, if you uh, want to talk about it later, we can talk about it. It's okay. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about it after the show. But uh, just growing up, um, it kind of came down to if we were just going to have chili, it was chili with beans because it was heartier. It was like a more complete meal. Mm-hmm. But if it was like chili that was going to go with anything – or is more like a side dish or going on like potatoes or going on like anything else, then we would do it without the beans. But all chili is delicious and I appreciate all chili. And then under the big umbrella of chili, you've got the special little super delicious concoction. It's called Texas chili and it doesn't have beans. We're going to, we're going to talk about all the various chilies too. <laughs> you notice Texas chili is not on my chili list. Well, you're Oh right. no, Texas hots is, which Corey's going to explain what that is later. You're from Oklahoma. It's like uh, discount Texas. Well, it's okay. I guess. <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> so, harsh, words, harsh words being thrown around. Right? Shots yeah, fired. Yeah. Uh, so we, we segued into it and then circled back around. But what, what do you eat under your chili? I want to hear from the cracker wrapper first. The cracker wrapper. So crackers, <laughs> crackers don't go under the chili though; they go on top. So, yeah, I don't know. Some people use crackers as a spoon. You like scoop it up and eat it off the cracker, like a like a chip for salsa. Um, or you, cr- I personally, I like to crumble crackers and then mix in with the chili because it gives a little crunchy consistency as you're eating chili. And then also, I, I put the four common and you said potatoes and it blew my mind because that what didn't that wasn't on the list i never I, even thought about that i i put it over french fries yeah I've, I've had it on french fries and potatoes i mean chili cheese fries but like mashed potatoes They're like a baked potato a, yeah baked potato oh, big, yeah baked yeah. potato yeah yeah I, I, I would say i, I would i've never heard that term before but uh i would say uh if it's not over a potato, it's just by itself. What about cornbread? Do you uh, as an accompaniment? Cornbread? Correction, it- I have had it on cornbread before. I like I too like it on cornbread, but then you got to go through the the hassle of making the cornbread. So if someone else is making the cornbread, then I'll I'll eat it with Wait. cornbread. Wait, you mean you guys don't have like standby cornbread at your house, like always ready for butter any moment? You can get the uh, the boxes of the Jiffy Pop cornbread mix. Yeah. It's like fifty cents a box out here, so yeah. Stuff so cheap. <laughs> stuff so cheap. I like that though. I grew up with those. Um, ben, do you have a, a cornbread or rice or pasta um, preference? Not really. I've done all three. I'm kind of with Corey with the cornbread thing and. Ideally, I would have cornbread, but rarely do I feel like making the cornbread. So it's usually over, over something else. So let me let me ask you this then, all all of you. Frito chili pies, right? That's another topping we didn't talk about, and that's corn chips. Oh yeah, that's a solid one. 
it's a great I, topic. I think we can yeah. expand it to chili over any corn-based food or over <laughs> any potato-based food. That yeah, way we cover the Fritos, the, uh, the French fries, potatoes. Yeah. And then rice and pasta. I don't know. I'm still very much on I'm, – I'm on the fence whether rice is acceptable. I don't know. I, I understand pasta. I said I do rice all the time. It's probably – my go-to over rice, but like I said, um, chili. Yep, chili over rice. I've never, like, I've never. I've had, it, I've had it. That I was way. like, that's yeah. different. Bad. Like I said, no, I grew up in New Jersey, so a little uncultured out here. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think rice probably eighty percent of the time, almost always. Oh wow, hmm. big ratio. So what? What about like? A chili dog or a chili burger. Oh, That's yep. Good. We're going to get to that or in a minute. Well, you, okay. We're going to get to that, yeah. Yeah, we're going to get to just, that. Just making sure. I don't want to leave those, those two nope. great ballpark foods out. No, nope. chili dogs. That's a thing. But I want I, I want to know Frito chili pie. Is it a pie or is it chili? I, I don't it think a pie. What is it then? It's a nacho. Nacho. <laughs> yeah, it's like a walking taco. The walking taco? No, walking taco is where you do it in the bag of chips. Like you pour it yeah. into the actual Frito yeah, bag, that, right? That's, yeah. I thought a Frito pie you actually make right, in like yeah. a, a dish, like a casserole dish. No, it's no, a little no, bit, no, no. It's a little bit classier than a walking taco, but not quite as classy as a traditional bowl of chili. <laughs> so I, uh, <laughs> I'm going to reference two things there. So growing up, another growing up story we have a lot of chili in my growing up life. Um, we got served Frito chili pie at school, like all the way from elementary school, all the way into high school. Yep. It was a staple like yeah. in Texas too. That's but what it you wasn't in a bag. So I'm looking over on the mediator website. Uh, there's a venison Frito pie recipe. And yeah, that's um, why I say it's more like walking tacos. Because that's, as, that's the as an adult, I I yeah. As an adult, I've seen it like this with the bag torn open, um, and uh, and the and it made inside the bag. But growing up as a kid, I'm trying to think if there was a time in my life where I ever saw it. I think like mainly it was in like the boats. You know, they get those paper boats. Yeah, it was in those. Um, my only critique on this venison Frito pie recipe. On the uh, on the Meteor website, uh, is that the uh, what kind of Fritos is he using? Those aren't regular Fritos. Those are chili cheese Fritos. Chili cheese. So you're doubling your chili cheese. He he got real fancy with the recipe. So kind of you, it was always served in the boat, and you got your little paper boat. You dumped your bag of Fritos in there, and then you got like a giant oh, helping he, of chili on the top and a little cheese, and that's just that's he, just how he caveats it. original or chili cheese. Okay, I'm I'm okay with that now. But he also puts uh, iceberg lettuce and onion and pickled jalapeno. So growing up, all we did it was literally Fritos and chili and shredded. Don't even know if it's really cheese, but cheese food, yeah, cheese, yeah. So I don't know. I I like it though. I like Frito chili pie. It's good. I like it. I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm, there's no denying that it's delicious. I think yeah. the larger argument was over what is actually chili 
and then somehow we got onto the subject of chili Frito pie and walking now, tacos. Here's a question for you. Have you added in an actual tortilla, like an actual burrito taco? Because we used to have those. You take a big burrito what? tortilla, you pour a bag of Fritos in there, you load it up with chili, and you roll it like a burrito. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, it's delicious. I, I feel like it would just go everywhere. It would just be so messy. It would get all over the place. It's all about technique. You're the you gotta same, be able to roll that burrito. You and Corey are the same guy that puts chips in the middle of your sandwich, aren't you? I do that too. I like it. I do that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yep. Get a little crunch. I stopped doing that yeah. when I was like 13. <laughs> oh. Grew up. You can do it again. You can have Good joy back you, in your Justin. life. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm joking. I, I do it too. To what, what tragedy <laughs> happened to you? I grew a mustache and life changed. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, I, I still do it. Chips, whatever. <laughs> At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Let's talk a little bit about the, the varieties of meats to be used. So we divided it up into three categories, right? Corey, you, you want to walk us through those three categories? We have ground, we have braised, and we have smoked meat. But smoked could be either ground or braised. But ground being your traditional, you know, ground venison, ground beef, chili. Um, the braised, it, I never really had a braised chili until we made that squirrel chili. Right, braised down yep. the squirrel, picked the meat, and made it into chili. And that that was kind of my first experience with the braised chili, and it was good. And then Brad Luttrell of Go Wild uh, some, uh, contributed a recipe for the website for a smoked venison chili. And I think he smoked, he braised, he smoked and braised a venison shoulder, right, on his big green egg and uh, made chili from that. Dude, that recipe... Ooh, wrong one. That recipe looks phenomenal. Oh yeah, yeah. So I think I think you could do that on any smoker too. I think you could definitely do it on a Traeger for sure. Any pellet smoker. But man, that smoke flavor has got to be there. Oh, I'm making chili tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting hungry. You're making With smoked beans? chili? With beans. Okay, let's wait. Let's see. Does oh he uses beans? <laughs> ah. All right, we won't get on that debate. Um, I also one of my recipes we, we we brought this up to talk about is all right. So this falls under the any corn category because we used uh, I used a venison venison black bean chili with cornbread waffles. Man, and that one was good too. So here's yeah, we did that. Yeah. That was good. And. In Oklahoma, did you have sweet or savory cornbread? This is I'm glad you asked this, Will. 
This is the debate in the Townsend house. <laughs> um, so my grandmother was like a, uh, she was very unfavorable of sweet cornbread. So we didn't often get it. Um, as an adult though, I like sweet cornbread. It's like sometimes you want cornbread, but you don't, or you want sweets, but you don't want dessert. So you just have sweet cornbread with dinner. That makes sense. This one I used, I can't remember if I used sweet cornbread or regular. We used sweet when we made that, when we made your recipe. I prefer sweet. I did not specify. I just said pre-mixed cornbread mix. But it's good. This one's probably, this one's a good good crowd pleaser too. It looks great. Yeah, My mother only made savory cornbread, but she put a lot of sesame seeds on top. Wait. Yeah. Sesame seeds? Sesame seeds. And she would toast the sesame seeds on top of the cornbread. It uh pretty good though. It wasn't until I kinda like started in school and stuff getting served cornbread that I didn't realize it could be sweet. Yeah. But definitely got a place for both on the dinner table. So then we did the braised squirrel one, which Corey you were a big fan of. Yep, I enjoyed that one. Leftovers, I uh, put it over scrambled eggs. Ooh, that sounds good too. Um over on Hank Shaw's website. So this is a variation. There's two variations of chili that people don't often think about, I think. And and I'm going to – we'll just go mention these quick. But white chili, so that's usually like white beans, tomato base or not tomato base. Uh, so you, you develop another classification of like, is this a chili because it doesn't have tomatoes in it, which I don't want to get in that debate, just a thought. And then – uh, Wouldn't the green? chili be designated by the chili peppers? Isn't it chili yeah. because it has chili peppers? But I don't know. So then are we talking about a great, like, is if you put up, if you put not ground up chilies in it, say like jalapeno is a chili still, right? Chili yeah. pepper, I guess. In a way. I think I made a, a couple years ago, I made a white bean chicken chili. And that had jalapenos in it. Yeah, that was delicious. Yeah. I had a, a a pork and black-eyed pea chili for New Year's. Because you got to get your black-eyed peas yeah, in gotta for New Year's. In, yeah. you got to have to. Good luck. Yeah. Um, and then over on Hank Shaw's website, you have wild boar chili verde, which is I, I would classify as like a green chili because it's not red. Um, but you're still using chilies in that one. And then to go back to looking at the, the basis of, of things that you're putting chili atop, uh, Cincinnati chili, which if you, have you guys ever had Cincinnati chili? I've had it in Cincinnati. You've had it in Cincinnati? In Cincinnati. Yeah. I was at a conference or something. I uh, got it at a restaurant. They put a lot of cheese so what, on it. Uh, I was gonna say what how how did you get it dressed or whatever? I I think I I just ordered it and it just came out big bowl with a huge mound of cheese on the top of it. Yeah. I never I never had it, so those are curious. I cooked it, uh I prepared it for the meat eater. It's over on their website. And uh that recipe it's cool because you think about chili from like a, a Texas perspective and it definitely had lots of chili powder in it but it also had cincinnati chili takes a lot of flavor and spice from mediterranean influence 
And I would say mm-hmm. arguably probably some other parts of the world too, because it definitely ha- it has chocolate in it. Not like <laughs> you can see Will's face. It's funny, it's funny you say that, Justin. We made a chili here two weeks ago, and it called for some cocoa powder in it. Yeah. So naturally, being from Hershey, Pennsylvania, chocolate town, I put Hershey's chocolate cocoa powder in. But perfect. Yeah. No, it turned out I, great. Yeah. So so did the the Cincinnati chili? It was great, but it had just some some different spices, it had like all spice and uh, some other really cool spices in it that you wouldn't normally think to go in chili, but it came out really cool and it was served over spaghetti. So traditionally like you go with spaghetti, not even like a chili Mac where you go with like elbow noodles. This was straight up spaghetti, but I did it with venison. It was, man, it was great. This, I actually really liked it. It reminds me of mole sauce, which is just almost chilies and like yep. rich chocolate and that earthy kind of flavors. Yeah. It's kind of it's definitely it's, there, but I'm picturing. And then, so let's talk about these last two. And I think, I think we've discussed chili a lot. <laughs> um, so Rochester chili, which is in New York, that's a type. They have like garbage plate sauce is another term for it. Um, and I've actually used uh, Tacticality's Rochester chili seasoning on that um, on that waffle, chili and waffle, waffle and chili recipe. Um, and it's it's got some cool, unique flavors to it too. And that garbage plate sauce which is yeah garbage plates are a big thing in uh, rochester it's like all kinds of different food that you wouldn't think would go together i think it's a a drunk you know a drunken food eat it after you yeah uh go to the bar yeah definitely there's a lot going on on that plate but it's that one's made with no potatoes and coleslaw and i saw like cheese curds or something on the bottom too yeah I think there's like different like different styles and variations you can get too. Yeah. But so that, those I would consider, now do we consider those toppings or those chilies? Because I would look at that as like a topping. That's like a sauce. Topping, yeah. Yeah, just like in, in my, yeah, in my area we have, it's called Texas Hots. My wife and father-in-law introduced me to that because there's a, a restaurant where near where we have, where their camp is. But uh, it's, it, it, I wouldn't want to eat it standalone. There's no, there's no beans in it, but it's like a gravy sauce. So you, I put it on burgers or hot dogs, chicken tenders, French fries. It's all good that way. Yeah. See, I, that, to me, that falls in the sauce category. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Not, not. It doesn't have anything to do with beans. Yeah, I think they're more like gravy. Yeah. I, yeah. It's more, more gravy. Yeah. I, I've never had it before. So, but I. I think it looks like a like hot dog chili. Yeah, like coney sauce or something, which is its own classification. I think we've we've nailed chili pretty good. I'm happy with it. Uh, I don't know if we solved any debates, but we we definitely love to hear uh, your opinions and thoughts on chili and wild game chili more specifically. Uh, so let us know if you've made some of these recipes that we've we've shared or created and, and what you think about them. And, of course, where you stand with chili. It's always great to know. And um, so now I'm, I'm going to I'm going to dub this question and then I'll give a little bit of background on it. And then we're, we're going to talk about it a little more. So is hunting a sport? So hopefully. As you've listened to his banter about chili, you've had a little bit of time to think about this. So, um, 
I, I had a, a good conversation with uh, Robbie, who's the the founder over at Blood Origins, which if you scroll back a couple episodes back, you'll you can listen to my conversation with him. But uh, in that, we, we start discussing uh, whether or not hunting is a sport. And the conversation, those conversations sort of always make me check myself. I think I've said this before. I've, I've told these guys here. But um, it's a good time to like sort of look inward and be like, you know, I have my beliefs. My beliefs are what they are. But being a curious person that I am, I'm, I'm always interested where everybody else stands. I don't know, Corey, you, you have this quote for us, and, and I'm, I'm curious, one, why you put it in there, but two. I was doing some research just on this topic to kind of formulate my own thoughts, and uh, I came across this Robert Ruark um, quote, and it was funny because I just got done reading um, uh, The Old Man and the Boy. I, I think he's the one that wrote that one, right? And uh, But the quote is, if you properly respect... I, I it, it's a good read. You should read it. And I, or, and I just finished The Old Man's Boy Grows Older. So it's kind of like the sequel to, to that one. Hmm. But the quote is... If you properly respect what you are after and shoot it cleanly and on the animal's terrain, if you imprison in your mind all the wonder of the day from sky to smell to breeze to flowers, then you have not merely killed an animal. You have lent immortality to a beast you have killed because you loved him and wanted him forever so that you could recapture the day. I think that uh, goes hand in hand with our conversation. Yeah, it does. It's pretty deep, too. Um, but it's pretty deep. I did pose this question to our online com- our, um, Facebook community group, and we had several people comment. And they actually, they, what a few people said, I never even thought of before. Or I, I didn't, you know, didn't come to my forethought, you know? Steve thought, you know, why couldn't it be both? There, there's no reason it can't be considered both. Um, wait, you, we have to caveat, or we, we, we have to explain. So there's no reason it can't be both and considered a sport and then maybe not a sport, but something more like a lifestyle. Yes, thank you for the clarification. But even those that consider it a lifestyle, it's also a sport because it has designated times and places. It has rules and regulations and referees, and if you fall outside of those rules and regulations, there are penalties. And um, for the people that it's not a lifestyle, you know that they, they give it up, or they they hunt intermittently. They hunted last year, but don't want to do it this year, and they don't think about. It. Obviously, all five of us think about it constantly because we are, you know, talking about it on a podcast, and we're always talking about it. But there's there's a lot of people that don't think about it yearly or you know the entire year and just think about it as the season comes near. So I mean, he made he made valid points that you 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 may view it as a lifestyle, but other people aren't as serious about it and don't view it that way. Yeah, and you know, I think the the end result. I mean, obviously, the end result's the same. Somebody's going out and they're participating in hunting. Um. You know, their their goal being to shoot an animal, 
uh, in whatever capacity they're doing it or trap an animal or whatever they're doing. But yeah, the end result's the same. So it's, I don't know, man, it just makes it more complex. (laughs) And then uh, Sean said, you know, like wildlife is considered game, which is interesting too. If you think about a sport and game, and the, the involvement or relationship there and it, a movement uh, it's a movement to justify and codify the hunting ethic uh, and calling it a sport provides rationale for perpetuating hunting in modern times and people and not not that that's a bad thing though. no 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 and that we, we no longer have to hunt to survive so there's a lot of people that it's evolved into a lifestyle, but at the end of the day, like it, it's it's a life, and then it's an act, yeah, it, it, axiom, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's what um, Gary had had said that it's an act. It's a statement that has been regarded as established or accepted. So people refer to it as a, as a sport. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just the the common lexicon. Yeah, but it also depends on the motive of the hunter. But then you also look at the competition being like predator versus prey. Cause at the end of the day, it's still like top of the food chain or not top of the food chain sort of situation, I guess. But it, I don't know. You guys jump in anytime. Yeah, Gary did say that when there's death, you know, there is death with, with hunting. So it, it becomes a little more serious at that point or it can become more serious. Yeah. And I think that's, oh man, that's the, that comes with it because once again, no matter if it's, if you can regard it sport or not sport, there's still death. There's no catch and release in hunting. And maybe, and you, you, who had brought that up? Was it Seamus that brought it up that people, there's people that have a problem with sport hunting, but no one seems to have a problem with sport fishing, but maybe, maybe you just found why, which is why that is, is, you know, sport fishing, catch and release. You can't really catch and release with hunting. They're a different animal too, you know, anything with eyelashes. Right. Yeah. What people seem to care about, what the general public seems to get up in arms about, and fish—it's easy to be like, "Ah, eh, well, they're just stupid fish." What? <laughs> Throw them back here or whatever. I think. I, I think too, with uh, you know, with the thought of like sport hunting, then sporting hunting as a sport, people get this image of their head of like hunting in the fifties and the sixties, or trolling the plains of Africa, or like doing all that, where you're like, exactly. what people would arguably say is, you know, quote unquote, trophy hunting. And there's a lot of people that get super uncomfortable with that too, especially if it's like I'm out for the horns and not the, you know, not the meat or, you know, whatever, wherever the motivations lie. It's just that, that trophy hunting term carries so much negative connotation that uh, if you're associating sport hunting with that and you think about, you know, the old time images that pop in your head, that, that sort of too, I think relates a lot. Yeah, that's kind of my uh, criticism of it. I don't feel like super strongly about it, but I, I feel like it kind of conjures the wrong images to non-hunters, you know, to call it a sport because, you know, you just think of other sports like hockey, football, like nobody dies, you know, hopefully. Well, at least every game, nobody dies. Um, so I think that, and especially like in my experience, dealing with people who have no hunting background or, you know, they have no um, involvement or anything with it ever. You know, they've never even met somebody who hunts. Like the first question I always get is, oh, well, do you eat it? 
you know, and then they seem to be much more um, willing to, you know, accept that other people do that. Um, and I think that hunting as sport just conjures this like trophy hunting, like you're saying, you know, I'm going to Africa to kill a giraffe and whatever, just like whatever the most uh, kind of extreme um, examples rather than, you know, the millions and millions of people that are hunting for food, right? And, you know, in a lot of states, it's not even legal to just hunt for sport, you know, and just take the horns and leave the animal or whatever. So I, I, I guess that's kind of my criticism mm-hmm. of it. Is that it's a good point to you. Though, yeah, waste the game. Even though if you look at the definition of it I was looking at, you know, it, it fits. It says an activity involving physical exertion and skill in which an individual or team competes against another or others for entertainment. But uh, I think that the entertainment thing is where people, um, and, and I get that, like how can killing something be fun, right? And it's much more complex than that, we know, because we do it. Um, but to the outside non-hunting viewer, you know, they're like, it's, it, it's, it's a hard sell, I think, as a sport. So Ben, I think I, think I know what your answer is gonna be, but would, you wouldn't consider like a coyote kill contest as hunting but you would consider it as a sport or the other way around or i mean i don't know i i see that's an interesting question well i mean okay so so there's there's obviously a bunch of different reasons why people hunt and some people are hunting predators for predator management and all this stuff but i think that's like if i look at the legislation and the media coverage of the stuff that's anti-hunting it's usually stuff like that you know and they, and they go to that right away like even those two black, uh, black bear bills the one in um california and the one in you know there's one in new jersey mm-hmm. and the one in washington it's like case in point it's like this is trophy hunting black bear hunters just hunt for sport you know it like the the terminology i think has been kind of appropriated to the non-hunting realm to the point where it's almost like difficult to divorce the two yeah i think and i i, I... I saw too in, in comments when we posted that article uh, of the bill being uh, withdrawn uh, by that senator that people were like, well, yeah, we don't want to do this. We don't want this bill to go through because, you know, it, it's like an attack on hunting and, you know, a lot of the issues that have gone on in the state of California with sort of anti-hunting perspectives. But to to say in the same breath, the person would be like, but who's eating bears? And it's like, mm-hmm. well, there's like a there's a large amount of hunters that are hunt that are hunting yeah. and eating black bear. Like, well, I think a lot yeah. of it comes down to staying within the legal parameters put out. But I mean, they don't come up with seasons and they don't mm-hmm. come up with draws and they don't come up with numbers just out of thin air. Like you have biologists and people doing this. Like Colin, what you were talking about, going out and culling deer. Like you went called deer you're not necessarily eating them but it's provided food for somebody else uh, and you're actually managing something that like could have a negative impact like when these animals get overpopulated the disease comes through and it will ravage a population or you know you have the competing infrastructure of the human infrastructure versus like animal habits and lifestyles and that can be detrimental at some point when they kind of mix and as far as hunting as a sport to me 
it it is a sport. It's not something I have to do. Just like you have an avid football fan, even when it's not football season, they think about football. They watch the draft. They watch all these things that are coming and it it's a recreation for them. It's an enjoyment. It's something that they like. And while there's not necessarily a one per one exchange there, I don't have to hunt. I can go to the store and buy meat. I don't have to hunt, but I enjoy it. It's something that brings me peace, brings me satisfaction. I enjoy me against nature, especially with like backwoods hunting and kind of testing my metal. And it's not about killing. It's a hundred percent not about killing. It's about the pursuit of the game and then the satisfaction you get with the making and I think bringing home your own food. It's almost primitive. And I would even say that about trophy hunting in Africa. It gets a really bad rap, but it also is very heavily managed in most parts and it helps the economy out there so much by providing villages and the food is not wasted. It's not left on the ground. So even if you're not oh, yeah. purpose or you know, personally eating or consuming it, the meat's not going to waste and it's actually perpetuating conservation of yeah. the species. It's not, it's not mindless killing. I like, I think poaching is a hundred percent wrong. It's not a sport. It is an illegal activity, but when you're hunting inside yeah. of legal bounds and the meat is being consumed, by someone, I, I think a hundred percent it is. It's- oh. I want to. I want to hit two points. Um, one being that I agree with Ben, and I agree with what you said, Will. Is it's very much a perception game. It's the the terminology. You know, like I said earlier, in the relation to trophy hunting and stuff like that. But it's the perception and. Robbie brought this up too is, is most common. If you're going to pe- see meet someone who's anti hunting and you mention the hunting is a sport, they're automatically going to say, or to assume, Oh, you're doing it for the, for the killing is going to be their response, which, uh, you know, yeah, that's a problem. That could be a scenario that could happen. Um, there's been some, some research done statistically and it's shown that, that people, you have people that are in favor of hunting and you have people that are not in favor of hunting. But then if you turn around and you ask those people who are not in favor of hunting and you say, Oh, well, what if you're hunting for food? And then people mm-hmm. are like, Oh, well, that's okay. then." So then there's, yeah. there's like, there's a, 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 a group of people which may, may not be supportive of hunting or are not supportive of hunting until it's, very specified that it's for food in other words yeah i think too like all the stuff we're talking about um you know you just get these like tiny little blips of people's Mm -hmm. time on social media you know so they scroll and they see the giraffe and they're not going to go read you know about how beneficial this is for these communities and a lot of these places want people to come hunt these animals and the meat gets to beat up they just see a giraffe and they're like who the hell wants to shoot a giraffe? This person's crazy, you know, and then they move on. But, um, you know, so like all those things that we're talking about in the context of conservation and economic value, like that takes more than that split second to explain, mm-hmm. you know? So a lot of people are just not gonna, they're just lost on it. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. the food thing, like, you know, the back to the, like the medicine diplomacy kind of stuff, like it's so easy to just get that same snapshot or like, this is food, this is where we're eating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people are so much more willing because of that. So what's what? All right. So I'll, I'll give I'll give my uh, I'll give my thoughts on it. 
I, I'm hand in hand. Uh, I got asked this question last week on a podcast I recorded. It was like, why do, you, why do you hunt? What's your sort of reason behind hunting? And I talked to Corey about this today. And I am I, I, I like to hunt for food. I love to eat food. Food is an integral part of my life. That's the reason I fish too. I, I don't, while it's cool to catch some fish, you've heard me talk about tarpon and things like that. Always in the back of my mind, I'm like, I, I want to fish for something I can eat. I want to hunt for something I can eat. Um, secondary to that, you know, I enjoy the travel. I enjoy the planning, the logistics, the hunt, the pursuits, the, you know, the cleaning the animal, the packing it out, the portioning the food, the preparing the meal, like all of that is wrapped up in the experience to me. And I think while a lot of times food comes number one, like second to me is definitely the experience and and just being out there in the element and seeing the animals alive, not dead, uh, seeing the animals alive in their element and, and taking myself out of what I have come to consider normalcy and sort of putting myself in a, a, a different situation. I, I think that's a great point too. It's like what you consider success as a hunter. Like I can go out and hunt mule deer for a week in Wyoming and not shoot one and consider it a successful trip or shoot one and not find it. <laughs> <laughs> so I like, I consider that a successful hunting trip because maybe I didn't bring something or shoot something or kill something, but it, it's to me, it's not about killing something. Mm-hmm. It's about exactly what you just talked about, the experience of it all. Yeah. Which I don't know. There's so much, and that's why I'm like I'm I'm a firm believer too, Corey. This is one of your main philosophies. Like you kind of do what you want, and I do what I want, and I I don't think that there's a right or wrong. I think there's opinions to it. I think there's a very stark that's wrong, and there's a very I don't think there's a very stark like this is right. Like you can be wrong. Is like yeah. I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna shoot that animal. And I'm gonna take off its horns and leave it in the field and whatever because it's that's sporting but i i don't know i'm i haven't ran across a person like that in a very long time that's also illegal i mean that's that's wanton waste yep yeah yeah a lot of people don't even know that that's illegal right they think it's like just the perception i've gotten is that most people think like 90 95 percent of hunters they're just running around shooting stuff in the woods like elmer fudd and then like five (laughs) percent you know, to actually are eating it. And everyone else is just like, woohoo, you know, like drinking beers and shooting machine guns in the woods. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which I've seen, which I've seen happen, but I mean, it's not uh, quite as prevalent as uh, people would, you know, people want to think. Yeah. Colin, what, what, uh, where, where do you, where do you lie? Well, for one, I think everybody's made some, great point so far that I uh, I mean for the most part pretty much agree with I don't think there's anything nobody said anything outlandish uh, at least in my eyes um, but for all today I was thinking about I was leaning towards what makes a sport a sport and does hunting fall into that so I kind of came up with three criteria and they're pretty close to what Ben's when you said your definition the definition that you found they're pretty close it's some level of physical activity whether it's strength endurance, agility, skill, uh, some level of competition, the biggest, fastest, or farthest, something that's being the best. Uh, but then 
an element of preparation or training that goes behind that. Like if somebody just um, picks something up and shoots a rifle or like stops by a basketball court and throws a three pointer, I wouldn't say that they were doing a sport. They just shot a three pointer. You know, that's not really part. There was no preparation in that. There's no real contest. So I tried to see if, if hunting fit into that. And at first, uh, I thought it did, and actually a little ashamed of myself for thinking like, well, antler scores, Boone and Crockett, you know, those are going to be like the biggest antlers, the best ones. But then right before we started, I realized that it is, I mean, that's like a secondary, like a secondary attribute of hunting is a big antler rack or something like that. Uh, the first primary, the first priority is the meat and the pursuit of it. And everything that's after that is just secondary. It might be bad deer management if you keep shooting spikes every year, but it's still nonetheless, that that's not part of what it is. Um, so that's kind of where I am with that. I think it has sport hunting has sport like qualities, but I wouldn't exactly call it just a sport. If that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. I can, I, yeah, I can see it. And I, I see those, those, almost every one of those items you mentioned, like the criteria of like it fits in. Yeah. I mean, there's endurance hike. If you hike in back country, whatever there's endurance uh, that goes along with that. Um, shooting is a skill, whether it's bow or with the archery or with a rifle. I mean, there's a, an element of skill behind that. Um, the range that what you shoot, that's part of the skill too. And like how, who can shoot farther, I guess that's an element of competition also. You know, if someone's comfortable shooting 150 yards or less, that's fine. Some people shoot 400 yards, and they're fine with that. Uh, and then preparation. I mean, with scouting, going to the range and everything, there's a huge amount of preparation that goes into hunting. So I think it definitely has those qualities. Um, I don't know if it's – I think I, I kind of agree with what Robbie said, is that it's not just a sport. It's a lot more, but it does have the same qualities. Can we add money to that? Is it the expense? Is that a <laughs> classification? <laughs> um, no, but joking aside, yeah, I. It's such a complex thing to try to unpack, and uh, Corey, I'm, I'm curious to hear your your perspective too. Well, like you said, I'm the you do you and I'll do me type person. Just as long as you're doing, you know legally and ethically um i don't mind if someone calls it a sport i would classify it as more of a lifestyle for myself because uh, it uh, my wife would say it's all consuming because if i'm not you know the actual hunting season's over but i'm still out in the woods thinking about hunting you know checking scouting for new spots and checking my existing stands and getting ready for next year already. I, I think the experience and the food are equal parts. I don't put the, the food above the experience, but I don't put the experience above the food. If, if you took it away, I mean, I think took one or the other away. I think it would hunting would just lose its importance to me. I, I really agree with that, Corey, because like, why do we travel to different States? To hunt it's, a, it's like, an enjoyment factor exactly yeah. like i would love to come up and shoot whitetail with you Corey. i think that'd be awesome a great pennsylvania yeah. experience even though i grew up in texas and i could have stepped out the door and filled all my tags for the season 
in an hour. Yeah. Like there is definitely a part where I don't just hunt to eat because if I just did that, I mean, I don't think I would pursue traveling or putting in tags in Oregon to go hunt bear or, you know, all this stuff that I do do. And I think, I think that's a great yeah, point. Corey. I think it's dual hatted in my mind, but you, but will you are going to eat them. Yeah. Like, oh, hundred percent. You, you know, you're not just going to a place no. just to shoot an animal because it's a white tail in Pennsylvania. You're still going there for the, the primary purpose to eat the animal. Yeah. But you just want a different experience of shooting it in Pennsylvania and eating a Pennsylvania whitetail. Well, and I would, when I go shoot a whitetail in Pennsylvania, I'm not, in my mind, I'm not thinking, oh, I'm doing it for food. Like, spoiler alert. It's, and <laughs> I think food is a very important part of it. But for me, the experience is just as good. I mean, I'm not hunting because I have to eat. I'm hunting because I enjoy venison. And I enjoy the trip and the experience and I'm not going to waste the meat a hundred percent, but I don't like arrive there thinking about what I'm going to cook with this deer. I'm going to shoot. I arrive. Oh, man, I do. Like, I know. It's just 100%. <laughs> He's also a chef too. Like I, that's what he loves to do. But like, I, I think you're, you're riding that, that very fine line and not that's like fine in a bad way between the sport and the lifestyle, because there are certainly people who hunt the first deer that comes by their door like every other week if they, that's what they need to because they have to to eat 100%. that deer to live. 100%. And that's the lifestyle. That's like the one extreme of the lifestyle end is that they are shooting the first deer that they see when they go out because they have to eat it. So I think you're right in the middle between that sport and the lifestyle. Colin, what was the quote you sent me today from the, the Hunt of War oh. episode? Yeah, let me pull it up real quick. You have a second. It, it, it lines in perfect because we talk about uh, adventure and sort of the idea. Yep. So it was Nick Otto from Huntivore. He said there was a spot one to two hours away that can be an adventure. And then he goes on to talk about that adventure being a source of protein. I thought that was a great quote. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I kind of think about it as like the lifestyle and sport. If you've ever passed up on an animal to look for another animal, I think then you're outside of the hunting persistence. Like if you don't shoot the first hmm. antler deer that walks by your stand because you have an antler deer tag, well, now you're hunting for sport because you're competing for either a bigger animal or a different animal. And I think that has to be taken because, I mean, if you're in subsistence hunting. And I mean, don't don't get hung up to bigger being bigger being indicating antler size like, either. Like it'd be bigger body, more meat, body or whatever. Well. Yeah. But now you're you're playing the odds. You're competing that you're going to see another one, and that's where the phrase comes up with "Don't pass something up on your first day that you'd be happy with on your last day," especially on hunting trips, because you're never guaranteed another opportunity. So I think there's a there's a little level of competition with. I'm going to compete with myself to find a, either a bigger animal in either body size, antler size, any of that. And But I think if you're willing to pass up on something on the first day that fits inside the criteria of your tag, I think you're falling more into like a competition with yourself, if that makes sense. For me, it can change, you know, like hunt to hunt, week to week, even like during the hunt, you know, there's definitely been hunts where I'm like, all right. I'm not shooting anything until I see that buck. He's supposed to come by. He, I see him around this time of year, and then I see something else. And I'm like, ah, forget it. We'll just shoot this. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Yeah. I'm, so, so it's kind of cool how they, you know, it can just change and be both 
all the time. Yep. You know, like the big s- struggle I kind of got this year was like moving to Oregon from upstate New York. There's there's so many different species out here. And a lot of the, I mean, I did archery elk for the first time. The success rate is like 8% or whatever it is in the West statewide. So, I mean, you're talking one out of 12 years, you're going to get one. You know, I know statistics don't work like that, but you know what I mean? So like trying to find a balance where it's like, this hunt will be for me. This hunt will be for whatever you want to call it, sport, or just like the thrill of the chase, even though I know I'm probably not going to get an elk with a bow my first year by myself in a state I just moved to. Right. But, you know, I still still did it. You know, mm-hmm. I still was out there enjoying it. Like, you know, just um, I always say, like, you end up hunting and fishing and even hiking, too. You just end up in places that you would never go to, that you would never see that would just like, you know, all of a sudden you're out there and you're like, this place is just beautiful. And, you know, you would never get to see it if you're just you just didn't do any of those things and just stayed at home and did whatever else. I think I think at the end of the day. As long as you're you're following the rules, you're hunting legally and using the animal. I, I don't think that there's a you can take you can claim sporting or lifestyle or whatever. Like as long as you're you're being a good hunter, like an ethical hunter. I think at the end of the day, yeah, it's kind of where That's I sit. Yeah. All right, let's do a quick round. Last thoughts. Um, we've had a lot of thoughts, but any thoughts are welcome. Uh, we'll go with you right here. So number one, on my way home tonight, I'm stopping at the store and I'm going to get everything I need for chili (laughs) because that's just happening tomorrow. Beans uh, beans included. It's not (laughs) including beans, right? Are are you going to get beans? Calm down, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I am not. I, I'm going to make it the uh, Texas. I'll give you some before you go. I'm going to sneak them in your truck. But uh, it is. Thanks, Justin. Is the Florida Keys, and it's uh, it's pretty cold. Not ten inches of ice that cold, but this is the longest stretch of below eighty degree weather we've oh, had. Man, in like that's ten that years. Cold down there. So, uh, yeah, man. it's definitely. I think sixties are rough, man. Yeah. Have the uh, seventy five degrees? Have the iguanas started falling off? The they, they have. They fell off the trees. What last week? Yeah, yeah. So it's raining iguanas. Right. So definitely chilly weather. So excited about that, and then. Uh, that's that's that and then the fishing we're going on next week excited about mm-hmm. that excited to you know come up and visit visit ben and colin hopefully in april for some black bear hunting and uh yeah great crew chat tonight good stuff that you on yep all right colin yeah i think it was a excuse me i think it was a great discussion i think we all had some good points uh everybody's kind of pretty much in the same mindset but individual mindsets as well um, so I, I think it's a good discussion. I'm looking forward to seeing what the comments are from our listeners about uh, what they think on whether hunting's yeah or not. Send us an email. What's cooking harvest in nature or whatever, whatever. Uh, I was about to go on my normal whatever podcast platform you listen to. No, uh, um, <laughs> whatever social media. Like send us a message, make a comment on this yeah. post uh, whenever it goes live. Do whatever. Like. But we're we're genuinely curious. Like we're not. There's no no judgment of what you're gonna say. I, I think all of us uh, are just curious individuals who who sort of want to want to understand our space and our community better. So, Ben, what you got? Um, I don't have too much to add. I mean, I found out tonight. I'm 
an uncultured swine from New Jersey. But <laughs> <laughs> All right, Corey. Well, Justin, you were saying how you're going to come up next late season to PA for flintlock hunting, and Will's talking about. I think spoiler alert. I think yeah. I think Will needs to needs to join you since since he was talking about coming. You know, hunting whitetails in Pennsylvania. So uh, I twist my arm as long as it's not below sixty degrees. <laughs> yeah, we need sixty degrees or higher here. <laughs> the the first deer I got with the flintlock, I think it was hovering around zero degrees when I shot it. No, I don't. That's it's not even that late day. season in PA is no joke. <laughs> no, I, I'll prepare for it. I'll uh, I'll go find a walk-in cooler and just start training my body. <laughs> oh. <laughs> go buy pants. Yeah, pants. <laughs> um, so. Pants are required. All right. Anything else, Corey? I I don't I don't think so. It's good talk. Um, I I don't. I hope I didn't sound pretentious. No, I don't think so. I just like to go hunting. I like to have fun. I like to eat food. So why not have fun and eat food? So there you go. Yeah, I like it. So all right. So my last thoughts. Uh, definitely a great chat. I like that we uh, have let it off with the food. I, th- I think that's going to be a thing. I think I want to lead off with food. Um, kind of opens it up to more serious conversation. Overall, yeah, I, s- I made my last comment there at the end. I'm curious to, like Colin said, to hear what everybody else's thoughts are. So uh, be sure to check out that community page. It's a great outlet for that. Uh, already had some great comments, as you heard. So looking forward to some more. And thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, show notes will be online just right below wherever you're listening to this at. All these great links to great recipes, great adventures, great stories. Head over to social media and uh, give us a like, follow there. Uh, Whatever podcast platform you're listening to, punch that five-star button. Tell us what we're doing wrong or tell us what we're doing right. Don't forget, you can win a hat. And thanks. Have a good night. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, Download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.